Hello, hello. Welcome to Words and Voices, a little sanctuary, a quiet nook where you'll hear hard, raw, and humbling conversations with some of the best humans elevating humanity. This is for the round pegs and square holes, the misfits, oddballs, weirdos, tinkerers, and thinkers who dig a simple philosophy that one word, one message, one idea, and one voice can change the world. So, without further ado, here's our chief mischief maker, Neelam Tawar. Hello, hello, it's Neelam Tawar. Welcome to Words and Voices. I have got yet another amazing human, Tim McCauley, on the show. And you're going to love this first part where we discuss life, how human beings are wired and his battle with addiction and what his vision board looks like now and why surfing changed his life and how he's been able to triumph even in the time of division and polarity. You're going to love what he has to say. Just a quick thing about Tim is he's a straight shooter. You are going to absolutely love listening to his viewpoint. He'd spent a better part of his youth in his 20s, especially with addiction and a hedonistic pleasure. And he realized at age 28, when he was at the doctor's and he was given an ultimatum, like, hey, quit or you're going to be dead by August. So that led him to start rethinking his life a little bit. Not just that, but you listen to him, you're going to love the texture and nuance he can put on any situation. And you're going to feel heard when you listen to what he has to say. And he's like I said, like with many people that I resonate with, he is a straight shooter and gentle and kind. And I really, really hope you take in whatever he has to say here. And please do make sure you follow him. He's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, wherever you put his name, you're going to find him and you're going to love, love, love his vibe. So without further ado, here's our conversation for you. Part one. Hey, Tim, welcome to Words and Voices. How's it going? You know, it's going. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Really, it's an honor. Thank you. Uh, I feel like it's the other way around because we were just joking earlier and, and we were talking about why this means so much to me. It's primarily because like I've been, you know, they say don't meet your heroes or don't meet people who inspire you. You might get disappointed. And just a couple of weeks ago, we had Ray Zahab on the show as well. He's someone I was watching for a little while. And I'm not talking about like two minutes. I'm talking about a good solid like 10 years or something like that. And I feel like you fall in the same vein of of people. You're on my list of top 50 people I want to talk to and be in conversation with. And the only reason we're having this conversation is because, well, that's not the only reason I shouldn't say that because everything aligns. We get what we want usually, believe it or not, especially when you have a good intention behind it. I, th- I think I've always been very blessed that when I've wanted something or wanted to have a conversation with somebody, it does happen. But with you, it was, I think I'd followed you years ago and somehow I was, I've still not been as active on Facebook. And then I did a political post and you were one of the only people who responded to it. And I just loved the back and forth that was happening on that post. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe Tim. I really fangirled for a moment. No joke. I was like, Tim responded to my political post. I've never, (laughs) I've never interacted with him before. And this is what he responds to. But Tim, you were precious you know because for me it's the thing that I resonated most with you is many things of course because this is the first time that I'm really speaking with you we've had a conversation a little while ago as well before I invited you to like please come to this space with me 
but I was quietly watching your journey at a very difficult time in my life. And I was in the middle of, you know, working in corporate America in your city, beautiful life on paper, but on the inside, dude, it was a mess. And then this was a time when, you know, the world of blogging was taking over. And now we see a lot of that, like we see, we see people getting on videos and things like that. That was very new back then. And somehow, because I was in that space of curious thinking and learning, you popped up into the search somehow. I started following you and man, your story like inspired me to no end because I was like, he's really seen some really, really wild stuff in his life, some dark stuff. And I remember fast forward a, a year or something like that, or a year and a half, two years later, you made this announcement that you were getting made and it was just so beautiful and precious and pure. And I was just like, how amazing is this? Like, so life doesn't have to end at 25 or 30 or 35 or 45 or 55 or whatever it is. There's societal constructs that make us think a certain way. And you embodied that representation for me because I was just like, wow, look at how amazingly he's. Well, I know it, it gets difficult. We, we all know that story. It's not always what on the front, like on the superficiality of things, but it's really how you communicate it. And you do say things like, hey, it's difficult. But you can get past a certain point and really be a force for other people as well is where the power is to some extent. I don't think you say it exactly that way, but that's how yeah. I read it. Yeah, yeah, you know. But the I was like, that doesn't sound like me at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my interpretation, right? Like that's my interpretation yeah, yeah. of all of that. And it was a difficult time for me. And to have our worlds kind of integrate somehow. And this is my second conversation with you. And it's just been off the wall already because we were talking about things before we got on the actual recording but welcome really welcome well thanks for making me cry this early in the morning late <laughs> at night for you um uh, i know the list that you are on and how like i blogged and got people onto a list you know who james clear is yeah atomic habit he and i started around the same time and some of my inner demons made me delete entire list in 2013 and just kind of keep moving forward but i've always you became friends with me on facebook so i've always used that as my blogging tool but then never really publishing stuff you know i was just experiencing it had i done that on a blog this whole time i might be where he is with my yeah i would it would be so difficult for me to get you on the show no no no, be no, awesome. no. What, i think you would still be awesome no, no matter what i, I would no I, I would still be on your show from what I've learned in my short period of time on the planet is that um, these kind of moments matter. And conversations, I've had so many conversations. You can literally, your life changes with just a few words. One of the conversations that changed my life was on my birthday in 2018 when the oncologist told me that it was time to make those arrangements for my dad. Another conversation was a time when I got a phone call from my sister's mother-in-law saying that they'd been in a car accident and my 10-year-old nephew was going to die. Other conversations were with people that they told me, hey, you know, you wrote this thing this one time and it fucking changed my life, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just like a conversation, you know? I get trapped into having conversations about the dumb shit the surface stuff, the arguments of he said, she said, the tug of war, the conversation about big ideas, 
that I've been to change the world. I get trapped in those conversations too much. I want to, and I'm trying to live in a sense of depth of this moment that allow for deeper conversations to unfold. So I plan on getting back into blogging and use all of these platforms to put my voice into the internet. I don't know what, have you ever seen Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater? <laughs> I know the song. <laughs> There's a show, Christian Slater. I don't know why I'm such a big fan of his in the 90s. He had this ham radio station. It was before blogging. So he had a ham radio station and he was happy, hairy, hard on. And he just he just ranted and raved about the, the way society is. I'm going to do a little bit more conscientious voicing than that. But I want to have that conversation because there are things going on and, and there's a war for our attention. And I believe that if we pay attention to what matters to us, and you'll define it differently than I will, if we pay attention to what matters and we learn how to create moments that matter, very short period of time, we can change the, at least our own little part of the world. And I believe that that has a butterfly effect. So I'm trying to do that in my relationship here. And I try, but I get noisy on Facebook and Instagram and I get sucked into the noise feed instead of putting out a signal. So I'm, I'm trying to learn how to be more mindful with my communication. So Well, it worked on me because I was like, I need to talk to Tim now. <laughs> he responded to one of my posts and I had <laughs> <laughs> literally known it. But it's so cool though, Tim. Like I just, the moments in our life where we put people in little little brackets or boxes. I know I certainly didn't do that with you, but I always felt like, apart from the fact that you commented on my post, I know there's a version of me that would have said something like, well, I have to think about how to approach him and send the right message and send the right email and find someone like, you know, I would, I would build all of this stuff around it. And I'm not trying to say that we, just, we need to completely do away with that because I think part of preparation for me has shown me the seriousness of why it matters to me. So I will always be a preparer of sorts, if you will. And, and I'm okay to let go too. But for me, it's just, I don't see, I don't see that to be the deterrent, but I don't know, like, how you make choices at this point in your life, right? You, you, you battled addiction. You have amazing, heart-wrenching, wisdom-delivering stories that your dad has given you or guidance your dad has given you. How do you navigate life now, you know, knowing that you had something you wanted to put into the world, not wanting to get sucked up by that noise that we see, especially on the digital forum? How do you choose? What are your sort of grounding principles, if you will? I read a lot, you know, a lot of spiritual text, neuroscience, science of habits. It all really does boil down to our brain is wired and we're social primates. There's a line in the book called Mastery by Robert Greene, his other book, Laws of Human Nature. Uh, I think that's a good start for anybody. The idea in Mastery that, that grabbed my attention the most is that before I answer that, let me go back. When I first got sober, I was Mr. Spiritual Guy. After I got into surf, four years into it, I was going down every rabbit hole, you know, got me into all of the different types of religions and all, but none of it worked for me. Like I felt so fucking broken. You know how much I've spent on self-help workshops, emotional intelligence workshops that made me feel more broken and 
broke me for two years because I couldn't put together a simple life plan and fucking follow it. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to cuss. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because I have no, we talked about this last time. I was like, you know, it's it's a show, it's grown-ups, and everyone is very real here. So I'm okay with it. People keep sending me this interview with Tom Ballou, Impact mm-hmm. Theory, and David Goggins. And I can't get more than three minutes into it because all he does is F this and F that. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear it. I don't. So because I'm having that reaction to him, I am oh. trying to not say it as often because it's my favorite word (laughs) my favorite word i think that um osho had the best skit about (laughs) the word fuck but anyhow so i chose chose the word philosophy there (laughs) I, i was mr angry spiritual guy you know i was the guy doing yoga every day i was meditating twice a day and i was a seething ball of rage that i didn't know how to get rid of it Oddly enough, you know, the Incredible Hulk theory is what I call it. The adventures when uh, they're like, hey, get the angry guy. And they're like, hey, how'd you learn how to control it? And he was like, oh, it's easy. I'm always angry. So I started there. I started with the base principle that I'm wired to be rage. And then once I got used to, okay, I'm just rageful. How can I not be as rage? And I started finding these little strategies that helped me feel safe inside so that I don't react with rage. And then I found this place that's called shame that actually triggers the rage. And I played in that for a while and it'll drown you if you want. You know, you think you're supposed to dig yourself out of it, but you're supposed to dig deeper because underneath that shame is this place, this shell, this thing we call vulnerability. Brene Brown thinks she talks about it really well. And I think she's full of shit. Sorry, Brene. I love Brene Brown. I love what she's trying to do. But I think that if you start talking about vulnerability, you're automatically going to bring up the defense mechanisms. So a long story longer. When I started reading about mastery, it all started to click together that we're, we're primates, first of all. Before that, we're kind of lizards. We have the five Fs. Really, of Maslow's theory of hierarchy of needs, it might not be a pyramid so much to self-actualization might be a circular more of a hero's journey thing to self-actualization this is actually a spiral that never ends you know so i put those ideas together one let's assume that i'm just a hairless monkey that if i calm myself down i might be able to think at a higher level and go from there and when i did let's assume that i'll never get there like no matter how good i become i'm always going to see ahead of me and go oh i could be better so I'm always have that insignificant, oh, I've done enough feeling because I'm feeling. That's the thing that makes me want to vomit when I see myself in the mirror sometimes is that I'm never going to be enough, you know, and I've always fought it. And then when I embraced it and went, okay, well, what if that's true? What if I'm never going to be enough? What if I'm insignificant waste of space? What if that's true? and none of it matters, then what actually matters? And once I got there, I was like, huh, not very much. Like, like none of it says anything about me. I can show up to anybody. When I first discovered this, it was, you know, I was tending bar in, I won't say the name of the bar. It's defunct now, but I was tending bar at this place, little dive bar. These people came in, and I just played this game. I call it peekaboo. 
because every it's what we're playing. It's the most fun game in the world. Let's just see how that felt. <laughs> really it cool. Goes, it never goes away. We're playing peekaboo with ourselves and with each other all the time. We're just little babies. So I started walking around and thinking this. I started going, I love you. I one time had my hat brim. I met a guy. 30 minutes later, I met a grown man, 22 years old. It was his birthday. I put my hat brim against his forehead like this. And I said, hey, man, have you ever had a guy that you don't know his name? Look at you straight in the eyes and say, hey, I love you. And he was like, no. And I was like, did you think that maybe that would be weird? And he was like, yeah, that would be weird. And I said, my hat brim's on your forehead and I'm looking in your eyes saying, I love you. Do you feel weird right now? And he goes, no. And he started crying. And he was like, I've never had anyone love me like that before. And I was like, it's so weird that we think that you have to prove something to me to love you. And I was do like, that's bullshit. Do you think we make decisions because we're creating the connection then? Absolutely. We're creating connection with self. If you ever see me say notes from self, I'm saying notes to small self. Sometimes I say notes from self. There's a distinction there. Notes from self, I'm actually what I call bending space-time. I'm trying to look into the realm of infinite potential. And there's like multi-universes out there. In one future, I am the man that I've always wanted to be. Having the relationship I've always wanted to have, the business, the impact, the friendships. I wake up on Thanksgiving this year and I think of the Thanksgiving in the future where there's more people involved, love and laughter, what that looks and smells and feels like. And then that person that lives there looks back through space time and he's like, so here's where you're fucking up a little bit. All right. Here's the practice that you need to practice right now because you're trying to be on step four and you're on like step point one. You're not even at step one yet, dude. Calm down. Relax. Do your thing today. So how do you project into the future that... So you have those infinite... Think back when you first came in contact with me on the internet. Okay. Okay. Where were you? Like, what were you doing business-wise? How different is it? I was still in New York City, not living this current life of traveling the world and doing my thing, if you will. What did you do for work back then? I worked at an ad agency. And I did a managed clients and strategy. Look at a typical day back then of what it looked like, felt like to be that person. Oh man, I don't want to go back. (laughs) But do you see what I'm saying? You can instantly get yourself into the moment of time back then, right? What's that called? It's called remembering. Yeah, memories, I suppose, or going into the past, yeah. Yeah, so Einstein tells us that space-time is a continuum. It's all one thing, space and time. He also, in the general theory of relativity, says that there, there's no separation from that primordial source that flows through, that makes space-time happen. If you watch some documentaries on space-time, you'll see that if you could remove yourself from the present moment and travel out this way, you could look this way, which is what your brain just did. You looked this way, and you saw the past. Like, you saw it, and if you would have started talking about it, I saw the emotions start to come up and you were like, I don't, don't want to do it. No, 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 I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to wake up and hit my alarm clock three times because I don't want to go to work. I don't want to be that person again. Okay. So 
the problem with all the self-improvement shit that they taught me was they taught me how to take the same mind that is stuck in Groundhog Day and project into the future and create this fantastical life. Back in 2013, I looked up dream boards and it was so overwhelming to me (laughs) to see all of that hodgepodge of stuff. And then I thought, huh, well, look back 2008, I was a different person. Maybe I don't have to be perpetually single. But if I were perpetually single, so you, you do it on law of probabilities. I have three different versions of the future that I want to manifest. One of them is my ideal future. It has the woman that's in the other room. We have dogs. They might not be the same dogs because I don't know when this future is. But we have little animals. We have this beautiful home. I know what it looks and feels like. Okay, I know the technology that's there because I am planning on having Jarvis (laughs) because I want to be Iron Man, you know? Virtual reality, what the world's going to look like in 2031, I envision it every morning and I have 2031, Tim, tell me what to do today. Now, I have a second vision that doesn't have that woman in it because I don't get to control her decisions and I might become the type of person that she's not attracted to anymore. I don't know. She might be dead. Hell, I might be dead before 2031. I don't know. But if I'm alive... There's a second version where she's not there that, okay, so if that's true, then what am I doing? And it's pretty much the same. So it's just different elements there. So I try to look for that. I call it the no matter what. No matter what's happening in my life, a happy life to me looks like, you know, this is kind of the thing I'm doing. I, I write at the back in 2013, I called it write, paddle, love. I would have written a book, but. Eat, pray, love was out at that time. And I was like, oh man, I just turned into Elizabeth Gilbert. But <laughs> you could never turn into Elizabeth Gilbert. Thank God. No, but I, I think <laughs> she, has some, she has some really good conversations about finding your vocation that a lot of people need to hear. I, I just meant gender wise, really, not, not, oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> okay. I think some of her, some of her, the talks I've seen her give, I'm like, that's uh, somebody that's putting in some work. Yeah, because even her TED Talk uh, was really awesome. The very first one that she did. And then did you see the uh, follow up to that where she apologized for it. I don't know if I saw the follow up, but I remember seeing it so much. I hardly do that at this point. But there was another thing that I really liked that she does because I prefer the written word because it lets my imagination go places because I've always been addicted to books mm-hmm. since I was a kid. So she used to do, I don't know if she does it now because I'm also not as much on Facebook. Some, sometimes I might not get this in my feed. But she'd write these, these small, short, like little stories about a day or something she did. And um, it's just the way she writes, right? Like she talks, it's, it's communication. But I've always found it very interesting to see how she shares her world with everybody as well on a day to day basis. Yeah. I don't know if she does that now, but I don't either. I don't really follow anybody that much anymore. And now your vision board is a simple image, then, isn't it? It's that. That right there is old man's. That's a picture. There's a guy, Ray, I wish I knew his last name, Kurzoff. No. He's an artist from San Clemente, California. I bought this when I lived in San Clemente the last time in 2016. So this little hut right here is the place that I learned how to surf. If you look right there, that's the wave that I dropped into 
it's that wave right there that I dropped into that I opened up the chapter of my first book that a friend of mine, his name's Chris Cram, he found out I quit going to AA and he was like, what are you doing, man? You're not going to make it. And I was like, you know, screw God, blah, 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 this, that, and the other, it's a bunch of cultists, you know, I, blah, blah. Yeah. As an agnostic or an atheist in that type of environment, it didn't seem like it was built for me, the 12 steps. I learned later that Carl Jung actually created the spiritual steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's what they became later. And I'm a huge fan of Jung and Jungian psychology and monomyths and stuff like that. And now Cram was telling me about three days before the surf session, hey, man, clear out. Like, you might want to take the day off on Wednesday because it's going to be huge at old man's and it's going to flow just like it normally does. So you're going to be surfing in like a foot overhead. I was like, dude, I can barely surf on chest high waves. He goes, yeah, but it's old man. So it's going to be like 200 yards out. They're nice little rollers, man, but you're going to be able to drop in and get pitted if you do it right. Like you're there, you're ready for it. it like don't go to any other than right there. So we go and it's pumping and I'm so scared. Like I'd never been in able, I barely like just learned how to drop into a wave that was less than chest high at that same area. These are like training wheel waves. And this day it was pumping like 12 foot high. Like do you ever stand on a roof and jump off of it? I don't think I have yet. Okay. <laughs> you ever stood on a two-story building? Well, I've skydived, so close enough i well, suppose that's, that's better but so it's scary oh, rush, being on the lip of a wave it's scary so i drop into a couple waves and i'm just amazed that i can even do this like i didn't think i was at that level but you find out what level you're at when you push yourself to the edge you know mm. so i'm stoked I come paddling over to Cram and I'm like, dude, how did you know it would be like this? And he goes, dude, it's wave dynamics. What are you talking about? There was a storm in New Zealand that was headed south, that was pointing this direction. So if the storm in New Zealand points this direction and it's got a certain amount of wind to it, the likelihood of it hitting this exact beach is pretty high and it takes about three days for it to get here. So when you see this, the waves happening in New Zealand, you can predict the size of them here on, I was like, how does that work? And he goes, I'll tell you in a minute. So he paddles out, we catch a few waves. He tells me about how the waves come up to the shore and they hit the shore and how the energy. And then as he's telling me that I'm remembering that sun actually shoots the waves of light and heat and magnetic resonance down into the atmosphere, which causes the wind that caused those waves. And I'm just like, holy shit. So as I'm paddling in with this head full of, oh my God, that's what this is. That's what this moment is. This moment is sun energy that went around the planet about 4 billion years. And it all came to this moment and it dropped off this wave. And as I paddled into that wave, I lost sense of who I was. For the first time, I was no longer this Tim McCauley guy. I was that wave, that moment. And then I popped off of that wave, and that moment passed me by, and I paddled out and waited for the next one to come in. And for the rest of the morning, I was just there. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't being. I wasn't striving. I was enjoying my life. I was comfortable in my own skin for that moment. 
didn't last. I think it lasted like three days. I was just like, I'm one with the universe, bitches, you know? And then, you know, trauma, history, whatever it is, came back up and it sunk me back in and it made me be this thing that I have to defend against the world. You know, I'm out there fighting against the world. You know, I'm like Captain Dan from uh, Forrest Gump in the middle of the hurricane. Is that all you got? <laughs> you know, um, Captain Dan. Oh, Captain. Uh, L- Lieutenant Dan. I'm sorry. Oh I yeah, it's Lieutenant it. Dan. Like, isn't there a Lieutenant Dan in all of us though? Like, isn't there a version of that? And isn't there a Gump in all of us? And yes. isn't there like the mama in all of us who comes in there and says, remember the last time? Like some, yes. th- it's like, That's why like, those stories touch us so much is because back to you are that, Tatvamasi, your soul, that part of you is recognizing that part of you that's represented in this story. That's what we're seeing when we're opposed to something. We're seeing those shadow parts of ourselves and going, oh. But we, it's easier to point the finger and go, see that guy? That guy's an idiot. And not realize that we're just seeing ourselves or the potential of who we could be. Because, again, we're all equally snowflakes. You know, we come into the environment and the environment pressures us and makes a very unique perspective and existence. But at the same time, the base elements are the same. H2O. Mixing with the environment that turns into a snowflake. So that's, so yeah, I want to be the snowflake, but at the same time, I got to recognize that I'm a hairless monkey and there is a social hierarchy that I am in always. And if I'm not conscientious of what the rules are within that social hierarchy, that's why the internet triggers us so much. It's wired to trigger you, isn't it though? The psychology behind like, haven't they, isn't there some study that says that Twitter or Facebook was wired? wired to hit your base emotions it's wired as a dopamine factory yeah absolutely but at the same time just because it's wired like that doesn't mean we can't use it correct correct so it can be a positive tool so your job is to know that it's wired to hit base emotions so whatever you're going into and you're attracted to you need to look at it and say is this what i want to put out into the universe now we are all wired for outrage. We're wired to want to feel significant because we're so insignificant that it's so easy to go on and cancel everybody. Ah, you, 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 you. On Twitter. And, ah, fuck that guy. Fuck. Yeah, we should be doing that to some degree, but there's a much more skillful way to do it. We have to learn that for ourselves of how can I express this truth? The only way to do that first is to pause a little bit. And try to understand what you are actually responding to in that moment, because you're not responding to what you think you are. You're responding to a social threat that you've perceived. You're responding to a rule that you don't quite understand, or you're responding to a, a feeling of uncertainty. You know, that's why all these conspiracy theories like the earth is flat and mask, no mask, and all of these things are happening. And we're seeing so many people. I think it's Buckley. I think he's the person that said, man, it's one of my favorite quotes, but he says something to the effect of it's so crazy how the most intelligent people are the most insecure and the most cocksure are the biggest dumbasses out there. But they also, isn't it law of averages too? Like that's more successful because they go out and do more of that dumb stuff or 
what quote unquote dumb sorry for the la- like the yeah, air quotes yeah. but yeah, I'm not it, judging. No, I know. <laughs> I don't know if but, someone else listens to it right I don't know. But the uh, yeah. actually I think it's more about the 20% rule. You know the 20 Pareto's principle 20% rule 80 20. Mm-hmm. So 80% of the noise is coming from 20% of the population. Now, if you look at the distribution of the conversations happening, the noisiest people, the noisiest 20% on the left and the right are the least nuanced thinkers out there. But they have to stand on their soapbox and say, this is the truth because their psychology needs to know the truth. When the truth is, they don't fucking know. They're not really sure, but they have to be so sure. So we are responding to on the left and right debate, whether it's political or socioeconomic, whatever it is, we're responding to the people that seem so sure because we aren't willing to listen to the people that are going, well, you know, here's the theory. This might be wrong, but here's the best that I know so far. Those are the people we should be listening to, but they're not as emotionally charged that this is the truth. And they're not, that's not as attractive to us because that would force us to go, wait, what do I not know? So it's easier to go argue with idiots online than it is to admit that, wait, I'm not the smartest person in the world. Maybe I don't know what the hell's going on around here. I think that if more people start to recognize that what they don't know first, and instead of like, even if I go into any environment, I'm always going to assume that I won. I don't know. Like they could be right. You know, I, I just start assuming there. Well, they could be right. Let's, let's hear them out first. Why do they feel like that? Why do they think that? Where does that come from? And if you can find their base principle and then look out from their logic, whether it's I'm, you know, these are the rules and you have to listen to society or there are no rules and let's go anarchy all the way, you know, whatever it is, left or right, right or left, somewhere in the middle. If you listen to the person as a person and you start to go, huh, why would they think that? And you get out of your own little head here. You can get into their head. You don't have to believe what they believe. You don't have to live like they live. But if you can get into their head and understand their worldview, it might not seem so confrontational to you. And if you start listening to them like that, like everybody, listen to them like they might be right instead of like they might be wrong, you might start having a different conversation. They might talk long enough to realize that they're idiots in that context and go, oh, wait, I'm wrong. And then they can change it. I can never change your worldview. Only you can. The only way I can affect how your worldview changes is to listen and make you feel heard and make you feel okay and safe to talk it out. Does that make sense? I love that. You know, it's so interesting. I know you've not seen this anywhere, but I did share something similar. I don't know what it was. It's a couple of weeks ago, probably. I said something close, close, close to what you're saying because I was like, my question was like, at what point did we get to this point where we can't hear the other side? And at what point did we decide that even if we are on the same side, it has to be exactly the way one person thinks. (laughs) 
so I so meaning like if I were to call myself X, like let's say if I call myself a feminist, but unless I don't agree with this one person's version of that word, I am by default on the other side. How does that mm-hmm. happen? I, I why does it have to be that black or white? Because really, that's that's the social climate part of it. See, the thing is, is that why I start there is because if you look at the neuroscience of the human brain, the part that we're calling human. The part that thinks logically, that can plan, that part of us that can use tools, and the creative part of us that creates things, that part of us is in the neofrontal cortex. If the part of you in the amygdala near your the, the freeze, fight, or flight area, that part is only concerned about your social safety and your physical safety. And if those parts are compromised, if you feel unsafe, it actually takes the like, like you know, in fighter mode, you're not digesting food, right? Your yeah. body shuts down digestion. It shuts down non-essential functions, and it takes all of the electricity and the blood from the brain and puts it into the legs so you can run or in the arms so you can fight. The body is designed this way because we are primates. So guess what? When you wake up, and you're constantly checking into this virtual world thinking, what do I need to be outraged about? You're sending yourself into a, a social threat and you're not actually a human anymore. You're not a human most of the time. The power of habit, Charles Duhigg says that we're habitually programmed certain ways. That 60% of our day is literally a triggered response. So if you know that and you practice a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy, you can actually reverse that and be conscientious by your making decisions you make and just make better decisions. Everything much smoother and easier and not easy, smoother and simpler <laughs> because it's not fucking easy. <laughs> but, that's, but, what, but what you're saying is that so when, when we get confronted, when our worldview gets confronted, it actually gets attached to our identity. And then your whole sense of identity you have to defend it because if you look at the monomyth story, the reality is that that identity is more like a hydra. Joseph Campbell called dragons in the mythology. Dragons are there to every gate. There's three gates of your psychology. And at every gate, you have a dragon that's there to protect you from actually going into the magical realm of your essence and just living who you are. It's like the matrix. You have an agent Smith living inside your brain that gets attracted to other agent Smiths. And then you go out into the world and you start to argue stupid shit. We, we get distracted. We're just distracted hunter gatherers, always trying to find this thing that's actually in here. Like we're out there looking for love when it's in here. And if we find it out there, then we have to, jump through a lot of hoops to keep it and we have to impress each other to keep it as opposed to if we have it and we are giving it away it's an inexhaustible source called unconditional love i don't need you to be who i think you need to be for me to say i love you you can be a complete asshole i know a lot of people online that it takes a while for me to get my brain to go you know what i don't live in his skin I'm just going to love him for who he is. I don't need to agree with him. And if he comes too close to me, I might fist fight him, but I still can love him. 
there are real world threats in the social monkey brain that need to be dealt with. There's terrorism. There are people that will throw acid on your face because you're a woman. There's, uh, there's people that steal people off the street and mm-hmm. beat them into submission and sell them to other human beings. That shit is real. And if we want to end that shit, each of us have to learn how to end it here. We each have to learn how to see the world as it is, not how we want it to be. See ourselves through who we are and fix how we are. And then express this thing that's hidden, which is love. How does repression or repressive behavior factor into some of this? Because remember, individualism or being different, right? Like I would definitely consider to us two at least as weirdos and we can both share stories about how we've never fit in <laughs> so many i'm sure but that repression and that hiding and being in these layers and not showing up as who you are some of it is purely for personal security but how does that kind of also factor into the way we're interacting with people and how we're probably doing more damage to ourselves because life is short no yeah so the body and mind like everybody talks about them as two different things there is no just like space time there's no separation from space time to body to mind there's no separation at all if we try to intellectualize what you just it's like alice in wonderland we will go down a rabbit hole into our own psychology that comes back into another rabbit hole that goes back into it's like being on YouTube. <laughs> like, how in the fuck did I start watching Catherine or, Juggled? Or TikTok, because you could or be TikTok. on that thing. Yeah, you could yeah. be on that thing. And it's the first time I ever discovered it was this year. Actually, I don't know what the fuck was, but uh when they started pushing TikTok videos to Instagram, I got on Instagram the other day and I was like, dude. <laughs> it's nothing but girls twerking. What is going on, you animal? What is wrong with you? This is not who you are. Stop it. So it's a dopamine factory. But let's back to your point. There is repression. So talk therapy might help. Okay. Um, having somebody that's skilled enough in that psychology might help. But most of us will always have an intellectual chamber that we like to revert to when it gets too uncomfortable to unpack that repressed feeling so the second thing that we need to do is feed the animals and if you look at maslow's theory of higher what's the one thing that you can go without the least before you're dead maybe love i don't know there's a lot of people that have never felt loved or incapable of feeling love and don't know what love even is Uh, it's more basic than that if I put a bag over your head, you'd find out real quick. Ah, uh, air. <laughs> so start there. It's breathing. I was just going to say breathing, but I thought it was going to be complicated. So my <laughs> brain just started going into <laughs> So again, we're social primates. You yeah. start at the beginning. We need air. So breathe. Okay. What air also, we need some attention. So we need to bring our attention into awareness of what the actual surrounding of our life is what the rules we're trying to play in in every different level of environment we're playing in. Our internal environment, our external environment of our home. We need to audit our work environments. 
We also need to audit our online environment, our mental virtual environment. And we need to understand the actual rules that are apply and what reality is there. If we know that it's designed to be a dopamine machine and people are there, okay? We know why they're there because we're doing the same thing. And once we break that mechanism in us, we can then tell people what we did to break that mechanism. And we can turn that machine against itself. Because the reality is, is we met on Facebook. Twitter destroyed Egypt's government about, what, eight years ago? Three days. Arab Spring. New government comes... We can destroy the whole system if we can learn this one thing. There has been, since the beginning of time, a war for attention. And that's it. If you learn how to control your attention, you can relax your body and mind, feed the animals. So we need air. We need water. We need macronutrients and micronutrients. And we need to procreate. We need to poop. Like if we focus on that, is that is that okay? Then we can come into the social connections. What do we need? We need connection. We need love. We need to be heard. And we need to be felt. Okay? Once you find out what you need, stop looking for that anywhere and start giving that to everyone. You need to feel heard, so go listen to people. You need to feel loved, go love people. You need to feel connected, go connect with people. Not for what you can get out of them, but what you can give to them in that moment. And one moment of love, one moment of connection. If you do that, you won't have to answer the question that you started out with. Because the question you started out with has no answer. That's a, that's a fool's errand. That's a snipe hunt. Yeah. But if you if you look at what your body needs physiologically to be safe and you create that safety for yourself, then you understand the rules of society that you're in. You don't have to agree with them. You have to understand how they play and how they create a social hierarchy. Once you see how the social hierarchy of whatever you're doing actually works, you will see that there are leaders and followers. You will see that there are influencers. And once you understand that, you can go in and have conversations with the influencers and you can do a bellwether effect and get the herd to move the way you want them to move. You can have the conversation you want to have. You don't need to get permission to have a platform. You don't need to get permission to have a conversation. But you need to get your own attention under control before you go out and try to change the world. Thanks so much for stopping by Words and Voices with Neelam Tawar. We can't wait to see you again with another voice and more words from game changers, movers and shakers, and quiet visionaries creating a dent in the world. Oh, and please don't forget to comment and share what resonated with you here or on info at neelamtawar.com. Till we meet next, and as Neelam says, be good to you.